Hello and welcome to the Xbox On Podcast, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and today in our inaugural episode, I want to kind of take this as a test run uh, and just go through some general kind of podcast formatting with uh, some Xbox news, game releases, and just general discussion about Xbox. Um, so what I'm really hoping to attain with this podcast is uh, to kind of offer Xbox fans a, a place to listen to some exciting takes on the Xbox brand and to just share my general passion with of Xbox with the community. I feel like there are plenty of excellent podcasts for Nintendo fans and PlayStation fans and just general gaming fans, but Xbox seems to have in quantity far fewer podcasts, but also in quantity or rather quality uh, just seems like there isn't really the premier cream of the crop Xbox podcast, much like uh, how I think Nintendo and uh, PlayStation definitely have some really stellar podcasts. So with that said, I guess that's kind of my reason for starting this thing. And I guess the other question one might ask themselves right now is why only one host? Uh, quite simply, there aren't a lot of Xbox people that I know. Uh, it just seems like most people I used to play Xbox with are on PlayStation or PC these days. Uh, the Xbox brand just doesn't seem to have the the optics and the kind of public love it once had. Although it obviously is, the brand is doing far better than people like to suggest it is but that being said i just want to kind of take my personal love of xbox and and without having really much of a community and outlet to really share that love and passion for it i thought i'd take to a podcast and and share it through that route and hopefully uh some people will take to it and we can build ourselves a little audience of uh, of xbox fans excited to discuss and share our passion for this brand so maybe in the future there'll be some guests on the show or maybe even one day a co-host uh but for the time being the Xbox On podcast is just hosted by one person. And the reason why we're called the Xbox On podcast is might make sense to a lot of uh, Xbox One early adopters. Obviously, the connect voice commands, the way you could turn on your Xbox was simply by saying Xbox On. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool name to coincide with the show uh, and, and the podcast about kind of turning on the community, turning on the Xbox, turning on the conversation pertaining to Xbox, so to speak. So with all the formalities and things like that aside, let's just get into the show. I want to start out with this week's biggest news stories in Xbox. So let's pretty much just get right down to it. All right. So the first big story of the day, Project Scarlet, the next generation of Xbox hardware, will support every Xbox console ever. This really isn't new news. We kind of knew this already, but Phil Spencer recently said in in the most recent Inside Xbox that Microsoft is committed to, quote, respecting the purchase uh, of its consumers. uh, And additionally, um, Xbox accessories of the past will also be usable on the Xbox Scarlet. And I assume what that means is things like the Elite Controller, the upcoming Series 2 Elite Controller, and of course, things like the Xbox Adaptive Controller will all be backwards compatible with the Xbox Scarlet, Project Scarlet, whatever they're going to call it once uh, it has a, a proper name. All Xbox One games at the moment are planned to just be forward compatible, backward compatible, so you'll be able to just play all your Xbox One games from day one. That's the plan, um, although 
really what the backwards compatibility team has said at this point is while that's what they're striving for, they don't really know that they can get there on day one. But in the long run, I think that's what they're going for. And it seems like that that might be the case based on what's said here. Aside from Xbox One games all being backwards compatible, as far as it goes with your OG Xbox games and your 360 games, pretty much everything that was backwards compatible on your Xbox One should also be backwards compatible going forward. Basically kind of aligning with that whole, that kind of, avenue xbox is going down now where um we see the xbox brand being a lot more like steam where you buy a game once and it's attached to your profile and then you just have that game forever rather than it being tied to a specific piece of hardware and that way xbox is really more so your account on the xbox platform and not so much the specific piece of of hardware you have so again that story isn't really much uh new news we kind of really knew that already but phil spencer just kind of coming out and confirming it during inside xbox i think that's pretty uh noteworthy uh just because it does really cement the fact that this is where xbox is headed going into the next generation starting in 2020 All right, our next story is actually uh, another Phil Spencer story. He spoke with Kotaku in a recent interview about the future of the Xbox brand and the platforms where players can expect to see Xbox titles. This is a really interesting one because, you know, with Xbox going kind of on PC and Xbox hardware, a lot of people have started to criticize the Xbox brand as maybe kind of not really having exclusives anymore and kind of really comparing them to the mark of PlayStation where an exclusive where PlayStation games are only played on PlayStation and that's kind of the the mentality we have about games whereas Xbox is really spearheading this kind of new route where Xbox is more so again the more of the platform and the services and less so the specific hardware so basically in this interview with Kotaku he was kind of really questioned about the possibility of like where we may see Xbox tiles end up in the future possibly even like PlayStation hardware. Uh, And he said some really interesting things. So basically Spencer said, there's always the core, the kind that comes back. And Spencer says, you're reducing the need to buy an Xbox. I actually find that in reality, people play on consoles because they enjoy playing on a television, on the couch with a controller in their hands. And it's more of an experiential thing than trying to sell the individual a device. To shorten it, we focus on the players. We don't focus on the device. So when asked further about the hypothetical scenarios like playing Gears of War or Halo on PlayStation or Switch, Spencer says, The games themselves are critically important to players and people playing, but ensuring that you have a connected ecosystem with players where their save games and their friends lists and their entitlements move seamlessly from every ecosystem, from every device that they want to play on is really critical. There aren't other systems where we can do that today. And of course here, Spencer is referencing, of course, um, Xbox Live, Game Pass, uh, kind of the Xbox ecosystem. I see this a lot like how Microsoft handles their computer hardware business. The perfect example, I think, would be the Microsoft Surface computers. So basically, a lot of people might look at the Microsoft Surface computers as Mac competitors, right? Trying to compete with Apple's computer business by offering a premium, innovative, sleek, and sexy kind of personal computer. And while that absolutely is something Microsoft was trying to achieve with the Surface line, uh, um, kind of a Mac competitor, really what the Surface has evolved into, the Surface lineup, is Microsoft's way of saying it's kind of future-proofing the mistakes of Windows 8. It's, It's Microsoft saying, all right, this is our software. This is the latest version of Windows. And 
this is the hardware we think really takes advantage of our software, of our operating system. So what the Surface is, isn't so much a way for Microsoft to beat Apple in the MacBook game or to isolate like other PC manufacturers like Dell and Lenovo. They're not really trying to compete with them so much as saying, here is a premium device that we really think encapsulates all the benefits of Windows 10, right? If you buy a Surface Pro or a Surface Book, you're really going to get all of the benefits of Windows 10. You're really going to be able to utilize the services and the applications on Windows to their maximum potential. And so maybe if you want to continue to build your Lenovo computers or your Dell computers to the specifications of Windows 10, look to products like the Surface and use that as like a stepping stone. And of course, get creative, uh, make tweaks where you think uh, they need to happen. Um, But we really think the Surface is kind of the uh, textbook definition of what a Windows 10 device looks like. And uh, it's a little bit of a long-winded example to explain that I think the Xbox brand is kind of doing the same thing with gaming. Uh, Even though that wasn't so much the case in the 360 era, I think where we see Xbox heading into the future is kind of a similar approach where Xbox is like Windows 10, right? Um, Xbox is where you go to play games. It's where you go to hang out with your friends and unlock achievements and kind of stay in this one gaming ecosystem. So what Xbox is kind of alluding to here is that um, the Xbox box itself isn't really going anywhere. People worry that, you know, if you put all your games on PC, if games start coming to Switch, what's the need of an Xbox? Why do I buy an Xbox? And I think what Microsoft is getting at here, but hasn't really publicly said yet because they're slowly working to this, is that the Xbox is going to kind of become like the Microsoft Surface. They're not saying don't buy a PlayStation, don't buy a Switch, don't play your games on PC, but they're also not saying uh, the Xbox is an obsolete piece of hardware, obviously. I, I think what they're saying is the Xbox will be a machine that is built to really cater to the products and services of Xbox. You know, um, Xbox Live, uh, the or Project Scarlet rather, will be suited to really take advantage of what Xbox Live has to offer. What games next generation will look and run like and play like, right? Um, and if that can serve as inspiration for companies like Nintendo to say, okay, our hardware needs to be kind of up to par and have some of the features of like an Xbox Scarlet if we want to have games like Gears of War and Halo running on our hardware, right? So obviously in this generation, that's not really a possibility. The Switch can't run a game like Halo Infinite, obviously, but Xbox isn't totally denying the possibility of one day Xbox Live coming to Switch, which we are currently under the impression that that is what's happening in the future. So basically one way we could look at this is Nintendo could, uh, Microsoft is basically saying, here is our products, our services. Here's what Xbox can do as a brand. And our Xbox hardware represents a product that can take full capability of what these services and products are. And then we're willing to put your games on, we're willing to allow you to put our games on your Nintendo Switch, your PlayStation 5, uh, provided that the PlayStation 5 and the Nintendo Switch uh, are capable of the features and functions of the Xbox products and services. Now, of course, whether or not Sony ever wants to have Xbox Live or Xbox games on their platform is a totally different story, and it doesn't seem like that's the case at this point in time. Xbox maybe, or Nintendo may be a little more open-minded to such a thing, But even with Nintendo, you know, it's not really kind of where we are right now. But I think that's kind of the long game that Xbox is playing right now, which is, uh, you know, just trying to put Xbox on everything, but really uh, justify the existence of Xbox hardware by making it the premier example of what an Xbox device should and can look like. 
And I, I know it's a little bit of a vague concept right now, but I really think this is where Xbox is heading. And I think that's kind of what Spencer is touching on without really getting into the meat of it all. Because again, I think Microsoft's trying to play it very safe with trying to message uh, their vision for Xbox. Uh, because after the whole fiasco of the Xbox One reveal, you know, Microsoft has a tendency to really be ahead of the ahead of the game in terms of where the industry is heading. And time and time again, not just with Xbox, but with Microsoft in general, there are really really good at historically just like getting way too ahead of themselves and releasing what is a great product, a great service, a great piece of hardware, but the market's just not ready for it. And I think what we see right now is the concept of where Xbox is heading is just a little bit cloudy because Xbox doesn't want to jump the gun and scare people off uh, like they did when they uh, announced like DRM for Xbox One and things like that, always online. So they're really trying to uh, kind of ease into this uh, future of Xbox. All right, that was a long one. Let's go to something a little um, a little lighter and easier. As part of IGN First, uh, a monthly thing IGN does where they get kind of like in-depth scoops on upcoming games and things like that, there was a recent interview with Rod Ferguson, the studio head of The Coalition, and um, I'm sure many of you know The Coalition is the studio behind the Gears of War franchise. Uh, they kind of took over once Epic Games sold the Gears of War franchise to Microsoft. Uh, so going forward, so Rod Ferguson, he was talking about the Gears of War movie that's kind of been in production. It's, it's one of those like like the uncharted movie where um you know we know it's in production we know it's coming but it's not really concrete because we don't have casting for it yet there's not script out there we don't have a, a release date so it's just it's just kind of one of those things it's just always in development but it's not really we don't know how true that really is but anyway uh ferguson really took um he took to this interview and said basically that he would want the Gears of War movie or he wants the Gears of War movie to be kind of set in an alternate reality and and not not like saying that he wants it to be like medieval fantasy or space fantasy, but I guess what he's saying is he doesn't want to stick too closely to the games. And his quote he gave really was, in order for a movie to be successful, it has to be a great movie first and a Gears movie second. Basically, the way that we sort of reconciled uh, with this was we said, oh, the movie should be an alternate reality. It should not be dependent on the game story, nor should it influence the game story. And I think this is actually pretty relieving kind of information to learn, because as we know, video game movies tend to have a history of not being very good. Um, so if you're going to insist on doing something like making a Gears of War movie, that really is, in my opinion, kind of the way to approach it, is to say, okay, how do we make this a good movie while taking influence from the series without kind of pigeonholing it into being, you know, a quote-unquote Gears of War movie? Because then you run the risk of, like, the movie being really bad on account of, well, certain elements work fine in a video game, but they don't translate well to the silver screen. So I think really coming at it with that approach of, let's make a really cool movie that is Gears of War, but not tied into the games, not make it so faithful to the games that it prevents the movie from really being what it can be. Uh, I think that's pretty promising. But again, I'm not really crazy about any video game movie ever. This sounds like, I mean, this sounds more promising for a Gears of War movie than trying to keep it as faithful as possible to the games. But of course, my personal opinion, I'd rather just never get any more of these video game movies because they almost always suck or they're just unnecessary. I don't really think video games need to kind of prove themselves and extend their reach by becoming movies. But, you know, whatever. Some Gears fans are probably excited for this and, and more power to them. Um, the Gears of War movie has been under development for a couple of years, like three years or something like that. Um, and it's apparently being made at Universal. So our next story is actually also related to Rod Ferguson um, in another interview, actually, with Game Informer. This is about Fortnite. So um, 
Rod Ferguson, uh, studio head of uh, the Coalition, said that had he still been with Epic Games and not left to go form the Coalition and continue working on the Gears War series, he says that he would have uh, canceled Fortnite had he had the chance. But what people have to remember is Fortnite, as we know it now, you know, the massively successful Battle Royale game, the the, the ultimate moneymaker that it is, um, really wasn't that when it came out. When it came out, it was uh, Fortnite Save the World, which was more of the like semi-campaign-focused like horde mode thing that it was, not really the battle royale that it turned into be. So, I mean, Fortnite just it really evolved kind of on the fly once it was released it was kind of in from what i understand it was in a little bit of like a development hell epic had been working on it for quite a while and yeah just uh, basically what ferguson says is that um when it was fortnite saves the world that was the project that we had just had some challenges with as a director of production at the time the game would not have passed my bar for something that we should continue to keep so anytime people look at me and go do you feel bad? I'm like, no, you should feel really good because the game you love, it's a worldwide sensation, would not exist if I had stayed at Epic. And that's basically Ferguson saying, you know, he recognizes that um, it's it's a good thing that he wasn't there uh, when Fortnite development was at that stage because it obviously went on to become what it is and him having stayed there would have uh, potentially halted the project altogether and uh, canceled Fortnite. Now, there's not really much to the story. It's just kind of like, that's more of like, a, oh, wow, that's interesting kind of makes you think of what the alternate reality could have been it's not really much to dissect but you know the cynic in me wants to go man it'd be nice if fortnite wasn't around because fortnite has become kind of a obnoxious cultural phenomenon uh but that's just me being kind of a, a bit of a hater anyway next story the marvel's avengers game announced formally back at e3 announced kind of te- in a teasing manner like years ago um, but anyway, the, the game we finally got to see at E3, it looks like Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics have doubled down on the character design for the upcoming game Marvel's Avengers. Despite receiving a lot of criticism after the initial reveal for the character's design, with many fans citing that they looked close to MCU knockoffs, uh, Crystal Dynamics lead creative director Sean Eshing said, uh, sorry if I butchered his name, but he says, we are always listening to and welcoming feedback from our community. There are no current plans to change our character designs. Yeah, this one kind of bugged me a little bit because when I first saw the reveal of the game, I also kind of got that Uncanny Valley um, feeling, you know, of the characters just looking a little bit close to the MCU designs, but then a little bit off. However, I didn't think much of it because, I mean, obviously with the MCU being the massive success it is, I really think these Marvel movies have defined the public's perception of what these characters look and act like. Um, So to me, it seems only natural that modern interpretations of these characters going forward kind of adapt a lot of influence from the MCU. Um, So in that sense, I I wasn't really surprised. But I mean, yeah, I agree. They do, some of the characters look a little off. Some look better than others. I I don't really have much of a problem with how Bruce Banner looks, but I think Captain America and Iron Man in particular look really wonky. I know a lot of people have uh, take issue with how Black Widow looks, but I kind of respect Crystal Dynamics for just doubling down and being like, hey, screw you. We're going to do what we're doing and kind of just shut up. This isn't really a case like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie where they're like, hey we're gonna take Sonic and we're gonna just absolutely pulverize his design and make him just like a disgusting atrocity of a character this is this is really just Crystal Dynamics saying this is our interpretation of these characters I think they still very much look like how these characters should look in some form or fashion they take inspiration from the MCU they probably take inspiration from some varying comic book series and then as well as just you know the artists and interpretations and and tastes so um 
it really is kind of, in my opinion, a petty uh, complaint for fans to be like so up in arms about the designs of these characters. Really, it's like just wait, wait till the freaking game comes out. See if it's a fun game to play. See if the story is as good as they're like touting it will be. Um, and those are really the things to focus your attention on. I felt a little off about the character design of Peter Parker in 2018 Spider-Man, the PS4 game. But that game was so incredible. The story was pretty solid and it was just such a good time that like his, I don't know, the off-putting nature of how I thought they designed Peter Parker didn't really bug me because the game was so good. So I don't really get the fan outcry for that. Um, yeah, just wait till the game comes out. See if the game's any good. Don't, don't go hounding the developers because of the way the characters look. It's whatever. Our next story is also relating to Marvel's Avengers. So this one, it came out. Basically, IGN got a behind-the-scenes look at Marvel's Avengers and asked a couple questions. Questions and we learned some more things about the kind of multiplayer, single player nature of the game. This one's a little weirder. So it appears that despite the games like touting the whole four player multiplayer, the entire story of the campaign is actually a single player game. It doesn't really contain multiplayer like co-op um, campaign at all. So that's actually really interesting because the reveal of the game was kind of vague on these details I mean I think this is kind of big news to really leave out honestly the whole reveal was kind of jumbled in the, in the sense of like really explaining to players what the game is um, they explained the characters the kind of setting I and mean, some story things a, a little well and made me excited in that regard but they really did drop the ball on really explaining how are you going to be playing this game so yeah it looks like the whole campaign is a single player game and basically the way you can play four player co-op via online only I might add is through like these side missions that you kind of unlock as you progress through the game. And the side missions kind of carry on their own story and they can be played through single player or together uh, up to four player co-op but they kind of weave their own narrative together and remain detached from the main story which is just single player so the way I interpret this is the single player is going to be a very uh, being that it's so narrative focused doesn't really leave a lot of leniency for like just select your own character and match up with a bunch of people and four people can be Hulk and this part you can play you can attack this scenario from any one of these characters because I think when you do that you have to make such an open-ended game it's kind of like the open world game effect where when you make the world that interactive and not that linear, um, it becomes more about the gameplay and less so about the story. So if you're trying to make a story-driven game, you have to make the gameplay itself a little more na or linear. Otherwise, you're developing a game for like a decade to kind of curate this. So I guess what I mean, for example, is if you reach like a, a pivotal part in the narrative where two characters are doing like, let's say Hulk and Captain America are doing whatever they're doing, but you decide you want to play as Black Widow and she doesn't really fit into the narrative. It kind of puts the developers in a situation where they either have to make the game less story driven and more open ended so players can choose how they want to play or they have to narrow down how the players can play so that they can keep the campaign a little more story driven. That's how I interpret it. Uh, and in my personal opinion, I kind of prefer that because I really enjoy uh, narrative driven games. So it looks like the campaign will pretty much be like, depending on where you are in the story, depends on who you're playing as and what you're doing. Uh, but when it comes to these side missions where you can play multiplayer, I assume they will be a lot less story focused. They'll be much lighter on story content, probably more akin to like a destiny or something where you just kind of play the character you want. You play the style you want um, and you can play with people and that way it adds the kind of best of both worlds where you get the narrative uh, linear kind of storytelling in the solo campaign but then you also get more of the open-ended like dicking off with your friends kind of multiplayer aspect when you're playing these side missions so yeah um, really my only thing about that is they kind of dropped the ball by not really being more transparent about how the game plays during the reveal but to me this is exciting I'm not sure how other people are going to take that I know a lot of people saw this as like kind of a destiny like playing online with your friends so 
it'd be interesting to see the kind of uh, reaction audiences have to this news. All right, and our next story, last one relating to Marvel's Avengers, but yeah, we're going to continue on with Marvel's Avengers. Uh, this one's pretty quick. So when they revealed the game, they made a whole deal about how all the DLC for the game is going to be free. Any additional story content is all going to be free. There's no expansions that you have to pay for. They're not going to split player bases in this sense. I mean, that was kind of a whole like woohoo moment. But actually, uh, the creative director of the game actually came out and clarified that the game will have microtransactions. So just because there is no like paid story content or anything like that, there will be cosmetics like costumes, I assume, and things like that. And they didn't really explain what these kind of cosmetics and things will be, but I assume it's just going to be things like, you know, like, oh, new skins, um, play play as Miles Morales instead of Spider-Man. I know Spider-Man's not in the game, but you, you, you get the idea. Yeah, I think as far as like story content goes, they're just they're just trying to draw the line that it, money you can spend in game will be more akin to something like a Fortnite where it's like skins and stuff and not so much like uh, things that will affect the gameplay. Pretty straightforward content there. I don't really take much issue with things like cosmetic skins and like microtransactions as long as it's not really affecting the gameplay. I, I don't see why developers can't like put in an option to make some extra money when gaming development is as expensive as it is as long as it's really not hurting the, the experience of the game it doesn't really bother me you know for example like i love halo 5 to death rec packs don't bother me at all they don't affect the gameplay really and um yeah i mean they're not like making you pay to like have good access to weapons and, and things like that in multiplayer so yeah it's just it is what it is a little clarification all right, let's get off of Marvel's Avengers because I'm a little tired of talking about that game now. A little quick one, uh, a new preview alpha ring for a 1907 uh, update is now available for Xbox One preview members. Uh, and it includes a new feature that estimates the time to download in the queue portion of the Mind Games and Apps tab. So basically when you're downloading a game or an app or whatever, um, and it shows the little progress bar, it will give you an estimated time of when the app or game will be ready to launch and when it will be completed downloading. So, hey, that's cool for all you antsy people that stare at the uh, download screen while you wait for uh, your games to download. Additionally, bug fixes are also coming to this update that just makes the My Games and Apps section perform a little faster, things like that. Xbox is just always tweaking, always updating the, the OS. So, I mean, there's that nice little added feature. And then our last big story, our last story, actually, kind of a bigger one. This uh, should have people enraged as uh, everything EA tends to do. But um, as much as I, I like to not jump on EA as much as other people do, I think this is a story that kind of warrants some EA hate. Um, so basically, it appears that EA has denied notions of their 2017 holiday blockbuster Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, being littered with microtransactions. So in a recent Kotaku article, EA VP of Legal Government Affairs called the game purchases uh, surprise mechanics and claimed that they were, quote, quite fun. Uh, so this is actually pretty bad. So I'm just going to basically read from the article because you got to get a sense for what, this per what these people are saying. So EA's Carrie Hopkins made these comments as part of an oral evidence session with the UK Parliamentary Digital Culture media and sport committee. Scottish National Party MP Brendan O'Hara said that the evidence suggests a, quote, closed link between the loot boxes and gambling, especially among adolescents. He then asked Hopkins, as well as representative of Epic Games, uh, creators of Fortnite, if they considered loot boxes to be an ethical feature. We don't call them loot boxes, Hopkins began her response, adding that EA instead refers to them as, quote, surprise mechanics. Uh, I'm just going to put a pin into this right here. That is the biggest little bullshit PR I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, surprise mechanics means loot boxes. It's it's dressing up a pig in makeup. I don't understand what they're trying to say. I mean, to me, surprise mechanics sounds creepy. I mean, I don't know what that means. It sounds like you're going to be like running around a video game and the floor is going to drop out from beneath you and 
you're going to just fall to your death or something. I don't understand why they, I understand the, from a PR perspective, the need to kind of say, um, we need to reposition how we talk about loot boxes to kind of remove the stigma from them. But <laughs> Surprise Mechanics uh, is not a great name. And when you're EA and you're always in the spotlight for being just hated and, and known as like the worst company, which is a little harsh in my opinion, you're not really helping your case by doing this. Um, I think right now EA is in a position where they need to be a little more transparent. They need a little, they need to be a little more humble and they need to just eat some shit right now and just kind of bend the knee to, uh, favor audiences but no this is a EAPR doubling down really trying to justify the actions of Star Wars Battlefront 2 which is easily a game that definitely upset tons and tons of players so uh, this is a little controversial in that regard continuing on with the story she then elaborates what exactly she means by so-called surprise mechanics basically she says they're just like um, blind packed toys Uh, quote she says if you go to I don't know what your version of a target is a store that sells a lot of toys and you do a search for a surprise toy what you'll find is that that is something people really enjoy. They enjoy surprises, and so it's something that's been part of toys for years. Whether it's Kinder Eggs, Hatchimals, LOL Surprise, we do think that this is the way that we have implemented these kinds of mechanics in FIFA, which of course, an incredibly popular game in Europe, uh, just globally actually speaking, you know, in in Europe, uh, FIFA is kind of the example they're using. Um, And she says that it's actually quite ethical and quite fun, enjoyable to people. She also says that EA does not consider loot boxes to be gambling, and quote, we also disagree that there's evidence that shows it leads to gambling, unquote. However, the evidence has been enough in countries like Belgium and the Netherlands, uh, both of which have banned certain types of randomized loot boxes under the gambling laws. Uh, Hopkins said that those decisions were rooted in the laws of each land, respectively, and that EA doesn't agree with them either, although it has been made necessary changes in those regions to comply with these newly found laws. And then basically what we're getting at here is, um, again, EA just kind of deflecting their bullshit. I mean, again, I, as I said a minute ago, I don't really take much issue with microtransactions as long as they're um inoffensive, cosmetic, kind of just over there in the corner kind of things. Again, what it costs to make a game these days is so astronomical, and gamers don't really understand that, it seems. You know, games still cost $60, uh, which is like really nothing when you consider the development costs. So these companies are really looking for ways to make the most of every game they build, which is why we get so many games as a service and so many uh, microtransactions and, and expansions and DLCs and things like that is because these companies are really trying to make the most of these investments when they're so expensive. And when you run the risk of doing things like building a very expensive game, like say Anthem, and then it totally flops and falls on its side. So I think what we have here is just EA really trying to exhaust all their options and really trying to like double down on this um this whole we're right to use microtransactions and it's not gambling. I think this is an interesting argument comparing it to surprise toys. Um, I don't know how many of you out there might be familiar with kind of the toys they're referencing, Kinder Eggs, Hatchimals, LOL Surprises, but this in the world of toys really has been just kind of massive success in recent years uh, and that so many toys are about, they are kind of like uh, loot boxes and I do agree with this uh, th- this point she made to the extent that, um, I mean, the majority of toys are just you buy a thing in a package you don't know which one you're going to get you open it up and not only is the toy the exciting part but really the surprise of what toy you're going to get and it seems a little predatory to me um that (laughs) this is a that that ea is like calling this out and citing it as like it's okay when they do it so why isn't okay with we we do it i really don't agree with toy manufacturers doing this either i think it's kind of a little scummy children aren't you know they're not educated consumers they want stuff they haven't developed enough to get to the point where they consider the you know the 
the pros and the cons to spending their money in these ways and kind of the the buying power they have and and whether or not these products are worth their investment. So it's really just preying on kids with some pocket change who uh, who purchase on impulse. So yeah, this is just um, EA kind of being awful again. I mean, I, I don't really know what else to add to this story. It just seems like they're trying to justify themselves. And in doing so, they point to another scummy practice that exists in the toy industry and tries to justify themselves via that way. But I think in doing so, they just make themselves look worse because I agree that Kinder Eggs and Hatchimals and things of that nature are really not any better than what EA does with microtransactions in their game. So so be it. Uh, this is, I think, looks really bad for EA. I think they're really in a position now where they just need to be trying to build the goodwill of their uh, community. People are just not having it with EA right now. So I think it doesn't look good for them to try to double down on the shit that's getting them into trouble. And they should really just, I think, back off. However, they're trying to hang on for all they can, this microtransaction stuff, because it makes them a lot of money. I mean, we can hate on Anthem and Battlefront 2 and all these games, but they make a lot of money off this stuff. So that's why EA does in the first place. Yeah, it's a bit of a tough situation. All right, and that is all the news we have for this week. Next segment I want to introduce is talking about the game releases of the week and the Game Pass debuts of the week. So yeah, just basically getting right into that. Some games that if you are subscribed to Game Pass that you can look forward to this week. Rare replays coming to Game Pass, which I could have sworn was already on Game Pass, but regardless, um, the proper rare replay of the collection of all those rare games uh, bundled into one game is releasing today actually at the time of this recording June 20th uh, so you can play that if you want to get your Banjo-Kazooie fix or your Conker's Bad Fur Day or what have you the other game that's coming to Game Pass as of today is Resident Evil Revelations now this is that game uh, kind of over the shoulder, akin to like Resident Evil 4 a little bit. That initially came out on the Nintendo 3DS. Then they made a Revelations Part 2. I think it was like a two-part game or it was just a sequel. But then that one came to like PlayStation, Xbox, and then they made a collection and put them both together. So yeah, Resident Evil Revelations. So look forward to both those games uh, releasing on Game Pass today. And then as well, as you may know now, uh, thanks to E3 2019, Xbox Game Pass on PC is now a thing and they're getting some new games as well. They are getting an Exile Entertainment's Torment Tides of Numenera. That's coming out today. Some kind of RPG game I'm not terribly familiar with, although I've heard the name. Uh, but that's coming to PC, and any of these games should also be available on Xbox if they aren't already. The other game coming to Game Pass for PC is Goat Simulator, which I know has been on the Xbox version of Game Pass for some time now. So look forward to both of those, and those will come out a week from today on June 27th. So some additional Game Pass games. And now for a little bit of bad news re- regarding Game Pass. Um, while we do have four games on the way right now, we have six games on their way out. So yeah, every every now and again, games will leave Game Pass um, kind of Netflix style. You know, they add a lot more than they take away, but from time to time, things do leave the service. So on June 27th, leaving Game Pass is Next Up Hero. And then a few days later on June 30th, we have five more games leaving. Uh, so Dead Island Definitive Edition, Good Riddance, Devil May Cry 4 Special Edition is also leaving, Shadow Complex Remastered, which I... Th- I find that one a little weird because that one's so closely associated with Xbox. I would take it for like a Gears or a Halo where it's just always on Game Pass. Um, but yeah, it's it's leaving. I mean, it was made by Epic Games and it, I believe, is available on PlayStation these days. So pretty third-party game, despite being very heavily associated with the 360. The last two games leaving are Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And then this one hurts me a little bit. Uh, Zombie Army Trilogy is leaving Game Pass. Uh, that game is really excellent. Uh, sad to see that one go. But yeah, if you want to get your uh, game time on those, those leave in about 10 days on June 30th. So um, make sure you get to them before then if you want to play them. All right. In addition to Game Pass, we also have new games just releasing in general 
general this week, uh, games that are not on Game Pass but are coming to Xbox. Really only two games of note this week. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is finally coming out. The kickstarted uh, and PayPal-funded game from Igarashi, creator of um, Castlevania, is finally coming out. So this Metroidvania-style game, developed by Artplay, is finally hitting, I believe, at the time of this recording, uh, June 20th or June 21st. So Thursday or Friday, that should be on Xbox. And then the other game that's coming out this week is Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, the HD remake of HD, like reimagining of Crash Team Racing, the classic PS1 racing game. Uh, So that will hit Xbox One this week as well. But I would like to add that I believe Team Sonic Racing, another kart racing game that came out just a few weeks ago, I think is on sale this week. I think it's like, normally it's $40. I think right now it's on sale for like uh, like 29 it's like it's like 25 or 30 dollars um and i've played the hell out of that game since it came out i highly highly recommend it crash team racing has you excited for a kart racing game but you really don't want to spend uh that much money on one uh, look to team sonic racing it is very solid i know people hate sonic games but team sonic racing or the sonic racing games in general are not really akin to other sonic games they are made by uh sumo digital who have done uh who've done a lot of work with the little big planet series um disney infinity all right, and that is it for games coming out this week. Lastly, we've got one of my segments I want to implement in the show, which is called the Game Pass Spotlight. Basically, the reason for the segment um, is there are a lot of games coming out on Game Pass all the time. It's easy to kind of get overwhelmed, kind of get that Netflix syndrome of like, there are so many things here that choose from that I'm kind of overwhelmed and then I'm just not going to play anything or I'm just going to kind of rely on the same things over and over again. So to kind of help listeners to try some other games on the Game Pass library and kind of expand the reach a little bit, I decided that every week I'm going to pick a game from the Game Pass Spotlight to recommend playing to you, a game that I thought was pretty cool. It's definitely worth checking out. So today's Spotlight, I've already mentioned actually is the zombie army trilogy game this is one of the games that's leaving on june 30th uh so definitely worth checking out in the next week plus before it goes this game is excellent it's made from rebellion developments uh the guys that make the sniper elite games and basically this is a spinoff of sniper elite uh, if you've never played it so it's it's built from that game so the sniping needless to say is very very good the gun handling in general is fantastic in this game it basically plays like a mix of like left for dead meets call of duty zombies um, it's more Left 4 Dead in the sense that it's like campaign driven where you have like these tight campaigns that you play through uh, where you get to like checkpoints and kind of and make your way through the game. Um, but then there's also an overarching narrative as well to accompany that. Uh, and then there's a horde mode that's a little more like um, like horde mode in Left 4 Dead or, or Killing Floor or something like that. The game is played from the third person's perspective, so it's not first person like a lot of those other zombie games. But this game is incredible. I really can't recommend it enough. I cannot stress to you how good this is. I believe it came out early 2015 and it's just like a criminally underrated game um if you like shooter games if you like zombie games do not sleep on this zombie army trilogy enjoy it for the last 10 days it's on game pass um honestly it's worth buying once it leaves game pass um if not honestly it's just it's a it's that good of a game so definitely recommend checking that out all right and with that i think that is going to do it for our first episode of Xbox on podcast. I appreciate you kind of bearing with me. Uh, I know some of the stories were a little long in the tooth and pacing might've been a little jumbly, but it is my very first podcast episode of all time. And I think it went okay. Uh, So hoping if you listened to this long that you enjoyed it. And just to be clear, this is a weekly show. So one thing I really want to do with this podcast is make sure there is consistency, make sure that uh, people that start listening to it know when they're going to get it. Uh, very specifically, I want to have it out every single Thursday. My goal is to make sure listeners never have to wait for an episode uh, longer than 
when I say they're going to be out, which is every Thursday. And I want them to just kind of get it built in that every Thursday, whether they want to listen to it or not at that point, they'll always have this show to fall back on. I think consistency is really key with podcasting. Um, it, as someone who consumes a lot of podcasts, it really aggravates me uh, when podcasters are just kind of wishy-washy with their schedule. Uh, they'll be really good for a couple weeks and then just kind of disappear for a while or at least like every week for a while and then go to every two weeks and then go to once a month or something like that. Um, so yeah, I just really think that just respecting the listenership by offering them a consistent schedule with a podcast, I think uh, that's a really important thing to do because as, again, as a consumer of podcasts, I know it's something that really irritates me. So I want to stay considerate of the audience in that regard and uh, have this podcast out every single week. Um, so you can always hear about the latest news in Xbox as well as uh, just uh, my takes on everything if that is something you find yourself enjoying. Um, so with that, I'll just wrap things up here. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening to the Xbox on podcast. Um, if you want to follow me on anything else, I do a lot of YouTube work uh, at youtube.com slash second best gaming. Um, I have been a little absent from there as of late with some personal life things, um, but I'm hoping to get back into that now as I start with this podcast. And so, yeah, so check me out there. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at second best rock. And that's really the only place on social media worth checking. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for listening. And I will be back next Thursday with uh, episode two of Xbox On.